If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Um, I'm Adam Gifford. Um, I was a winter 2021 cohort uh, member. Uh, I got my PhD in neuroscience back in 2016 from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, probably as you'll hear from many of the panelists and most of you, um, kind of fell out of love with an idea of an academic career um, and wanted to make use of my computational and data science-like skills. Um, but needed some additional help and resources in order to make that transition. So I, I found that that incubator um, found the um, program to be super helpful in terms of the technical skills um, and a lot of the, um, uh, I guess, sort of supplementary skills that we can get into later uh, to help sort of make that transition work. Um, and currently I am a uh, principal data scientist at Behavior, which is a digital health uh, virtual reality startup company. Uh, working on uh, things like stress management and um, digital therapeutics. Um, yeah, so that's me. Thank you. And then next up, we have Trey. How's everyone doing today? Uh, thank you guys for having me. My name is Trey Williams. I'm a Boston native. Uh, I was a part of the, I believe, fall 2021 cohort, part-time cohort. Uh, we finished up, I believe, this in uh, March. And I'm currently working at McKesson as a data scientist. Uh, McKesson is a pharmaceutical distributor, uh, one of the largest, uh, number seven on the Fortune 500 list. And we work around different projects uh, relating to price optimization, um, internal leakage, and, and various other supply chain management related tasks. Uh, and yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Welcome, Trey. We're happy to have you here as one of our alumni panelists. And then our first, Robert, if you could introduce yourself to the uh, attendees today. Hi, I'm Robert Schavinger. I got my PhD in 2010 from Rutgers University. And then I worked for 11 years as a researcher in theoretical high-energy particle physics. And then I transitioned to data science. And I guess it was... Um, the first cohort of 2021 that I did, actually with Adam and the other Robert. Um, and now I work for DCI Solutions, which is a military contractor based at Aberdeen Proving Ground, but now we've expanded and we have presence uh, in Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia, presence in Colorado Springs. And so it's a rapidly growing company, uh, a lot of exciting opportunities and I'll talk more about that when the time comes. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Robert. And then Robert, if you can introduce yourself as well. Hey, everyone. Robert, number two here. Uh, I started off in civil engineering. I uh, got my PhD back in only a couple years ago, 2019. Uh, after I was done with my PhD, I did a small postdoc uh, and realized, as I'm sure everyone else did, that I had a leaning towards computational work, uh, programming and such. Uh, I wanted to sort of 
uh, make their skills better. <laughs> and the data incubator was a perfect opportunity. Uh, I was in the winter 2021 20, cohort, uh, like Adam and Robert. Uh, and I started with a company called Affinity uh, directly after the cohort. Uh, I've been working for them for about exactly one year, uh, where I make uh, statistical models for optimize, optimizing uh, agent customer interactions. Uh, and we can get into details about that later if we want. Perfect. Well, thank you, everyone, for introducing yourself. We were going to go into our questions that we have prepared. And for our audience, please place questions in the Q&A. We will open the floor to questions towards the end of our session today. But for all of our panelists, I know in your introductions, you all talked a little bit about your, your new roles. But I'd like you to give us a little bit more details about what that looks like at your company and your current roles and how you're sort of fitting in after completing the program. I'll jump in first if everybody doesn't mind. Uh, so yeah, my, my official role is uh, data scientist two. Um, but uh, essentially what that means is uh, I create statistical models. So we use a lot of uh, Bayesian statistics specifically to sort of um, rank agents in the, the caller system and uh, groups of callers. Uh, and we pair them optimally. Uh, optimally is obviously a general word. It depends on what our target is. Uh, a lot of the times it's just sales cues. So, so like somebody's calling into Comcast, who's more influenceable for a sale, who's less influenceable for a sale based on certain things. Uh, so like when you call into a caller service, there's a lot of information, right? Whether it's from your phone number, whether it's from your account itself, uh, and whenever you press buttons on the phone, like one for this department, two for this, that's all information that we can use uh, in order to make sure that the interaction between the customer and the agent is optimal. Uh, sometimes specifically on the accounts I work on, uh, that's for uh, non-sales. Uh, so I work on a... Um, uh, UHG, which is a healthcare company, uh, we optimize getting uh, care to patients. So whenever a patient is due for like a cancer screening or a wellness visit, uh, we we match those pairs to to hopefully bring those numbers up so that we have a healthy customer. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, maintaining that is the biggest part. Um, so like debugging when there's problems, uh, making sure that, that problems don't arise or catching changes in data early. Uh, the maintaining of the data is actually a much larger portion of the job than the actual modeling, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, Adam or Robert or Trey, if you'd like to chime in there as well. Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, I am the uh, principal data scientist at Behavior, which is a Series B startup. So sort of slightly maybe differently from Robert, my, uh, my uh, roles and responsibilities sort of span um, the, you know, sort of traditional data science, um, machine learning engineer slash operations uh, slash data analyst. I kind of have my uh, my hands in a little bit of everything that's data related. Um, it is not necessarily um, it's not it's not a long term solution. Um, obviously, as as a company grows, we want to specialize. But um, I sort of came in as the data guy essentially. So I do a lot of the early exploratory data analyses to understand how people are uh, using our um, virtual reality products. Um, I am involved in doing some of the statistics work to analyze how um, our products are working um, you know, efficacy-wise, whether or not people are actually getting some benefit out of it. Um, we are developing our first um, machine learning model to try and predict users' um, uh, improvements in efficacy as a function of how they interact with the, um, with the product. And you know, right now, we're actually... Try starting to implement a 
um, a data science machine learning architecture in Azure. So how to organize basically the MLOps side of things, how to um, streamline the analysis and machine learning work uh, and, and production uh, you know, deployment work in order to um, you know, streamline the process from beginning to end. So I have my hand in a little bit of everything, probably makes me a jack of all trades and a master mm -hmm. of none. Um, but, you know, uh, hopefully as, as we get there, um, you know, I can start to specialize into, uh, the actual pure data science stuff, which I think is where my, where my heart's at. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. And Robert or, um, yeah. Trey, if you want to give us a little more information about your current yeah. roles and what that looks like for you. Yeah, I found, uh, the last thing you said amusing, Adam, because I also, for me, I think when I started, I didn't quite know what to expect and it's basically turned out to be data science and name only. So my job title is data scientist, but it's almost all other things. There is a significant amount of software development with a bent towards cybersecurity. Um, that's probably 50% of my job. And then, you know, there's mathematics. Maybe you could say it's 20% mathematics, 20% um, you know, research, and kind of 10% other where the 10% the is like trade secrets and controlled and classified information I can't talk about. So, you know, it's, it's exciting in, in a lot of ways. It's a very small company. It's 120 people and we're rapidly growing. We're traditionally, um, we've been helping the army out with cybersecurity solutions, but now we have people in healthcare. We have people working for the Air Force. So it's really branching out. And I think there's great prospects for growth. And so it's sort of like a startup environment but it's kind of more on the government side and the rules are different. So that there's no um, venture capital, right? So it's, it's kind of, you have a horse show every so often and you try to impress your government clients. So they give you cool contracts to do more cool stuff. And, you know, if, if people want to ask me more specific questions, I'll do my best to answer. Um, you know, it's, it's sometimes tricky because there's lots of things that I can't say, but I'll, I'll do my best to fill in the gaps. We understand top secret information, so we won't ask you. Well, it's actually not top secret. I haven't set foot in the top secret facility. <laughs> I haven't even gotten my badge yet, and I've been employed since May of last year. That oh, wow. gives you an so idea of how long it takes. There's even more so, secrets there. So I, I'm only working on what's called controlled unclassified information, which means that it's nothing special. You can figure it out from the research literature, but you're not allowed to talk about it or publish mm -hmm. it because the idea is that the synthesis of all the different ideas and papers taken together, maybe something which gives an adversarial actor an edge, and you want to avoid that if possible. So Trey, can you tell us a little bit about your role at McKesson? Uh, so I just recently started, so I think this is my second month <laughs> working there. Uh, but so far, I've just been handling a lot of uh, projects that were sort of in the works of being deployed. Uh, so it's sort of a full end-to-end -end, uh, sort of data science, I would say, pipeline, a life cycle, um, where it's also a mix of software engineering as well. So we're actually implementing uh, test-driven development, or at least that's what I'm attempting to bring into uh, the company, <laughs> and then uh, trying to move away from functional programming and uh, uh, utilizing more object-oriented programming for developing, you know, these specific models that were actually working on. Um, so in, in some cases, yeah, it's it's full on data science, right? Math and 
uh, the computational fund. And then, uh, then there's a software engineering where we're trying to figure out how we could potentially scale these models to be efficient, you know, once they're deployed and in the wild, we might not have so much control over them. Um, so more recently, I've just taken over, uh, I guess it's not a top secret project, but um, I'm, I'm doing some anomaly detection. Um, and so we're, we're currently trying to develop a, like a higher level way of approaching different anomalies in various situations. And so that's the project that I'm currently working on. Well, thank you for all of our panelists for giving us a little bit of insight about your roles. It's exciting to see, you know, our alumni out in the workforce and enjoying their roles as well. We love to see that when you guys come back here for these panels. So I want to pivot back to your time in the program and just get some insight into what made you decide to join the Data Incubator program. And this is for all panelists, so feel free to, anyone can chime in. I think it's really what Robert said that, you know, that we had these skills and you just, you know, everyone had the feeling that our skills should be worth something and that someone would be happy to employ us, but it just wasn't clear where to apply. I mean, I never knew that there were these opportunities. I never knew that the government would employ data scientists to do, you know, <laughs> totally unrelated things and, you know, more cybersecurity analytics than, than data science, really. So, you know, it's just kind of interesting to see what is out there and what the space of possibilities really is and to see what the skill set is that is in high demand. I think this is what um, TDI really brings to the table. Well, I can say for yeah, myself, for best money I ever spent <laughs> in my life. <laughs> oh, glad to hear it. <laughs> so there, there's the endorsement. Uh, for me, it was, it was somewhat similar. Um, I would say that, like, I knew there was a demand for um, my skills, um, but my skills were incomplete. And I think I felt overwhelmed on my own trying to learn what, or trying to figure out first what I needed to learn and then figure out where, you know, the best places to learn it, you know, from. Like it is possible to find all of this information that you learn at um, TDI online somewhere. Um, but you know what the, the for me the benefit of TDI was like having experienced data scientists like go through like these are the processes for developing and deploying a machine learning model you know doing exploratory data analysis doing you know natural language processing whatever um, and so you have some general um, reassurance first of all that like what you're learning is are are actual tools that real data scientists use. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of separately, you know, the end result of your, um, uh, of the boot camp is you come out with a project that you've done from start to finish that you, you know, publish in some way, shape or form that sits, um, you know, in a GitHub repo and you have like a, an app in Heroku that has a finished product. Like you have something to show for your efforts, which is something that you have to figure out how to do on your own if you are not going through a program like this, right? And then sort of the third step is, you know, which I found I think the most helpful is, um, you know, if you're trying to apply for jobs on your own, like unless you have other data science contacts and people to get your foot in the door somewhere, you are one of hundreds, if not thousands of applicants at any random job that you find on LinkedIn. And it's very hard to get through that first step. Um, you know, whereas with uh, TDI, like they have a bunch of um, hiring partners, not that you necessarily have to go through them, but like 
they have a you know network of hiring partners that have worked with TDI in the past, know the kinds of uh, data science, like the quality of the data science to come out. And you basically just have a leg up, like, you know, just putting your, your um, application out to one of these hiring partners saying that you're a TDI or going through TDI to, to, um, um, to get, you know, to, to apply to the job. I think when I did it by myself for a year before I joined TDI, I applied to, you know, maybe a hundred jobs and got an interview at two or three of them. Whereas, you know, doing the same process, I maybe applied to 15 jobs and, um, TDI and got an interview at almost all of them, like at least the first round interview, you know, so just, just getting your foot in the door is like, was like the biggest thing for me. Um, so I think for all those reasons, it was, um, you know, that was sort of why I wanted to get to, to TDI. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can second that. I mean, not from my own experience, I went kind of directly from my previous career to TDI. I never even tried it because I knew I would fail basically because I, I wasn't a strong programmer when I started TDI, and that's really essential in this business. Um, and so I, I knew that, you know, there was work that I had to do, but a colleague of mine was an extremely strong programmer, like really like one of the best I've ever met. He, he applied to 50 jobs and he got one interview and he said, Rob, like, what's wrong with me? I was like, there's nothing wrong with you, man. You just have to go to TDI. You know, this, this is what you got to do. Send him our way, Rob. And he did it and, and it worked. You know, he, he's employed now at, I believe it's uh, Revelio. Revelio Labs. So yeah, it works just like, you know, like a charm. Because I knew he was good. I knew he had the skills. It's just that you have to be recognized for the skills that you have. Uh, yeah, I mean, not to drag the question on, but uh, I, I share their sentiments entirely. Uh, I mean, not only was it easier to get an interview, I, I had companies reach out to me for interviews because of the, the partner system, which... I mean, I, I don't think that ever happens outside of a situation like this, usually, at least. Um, yeah, I, I entirely agree with Adam and Robert. Glad to hear it. And Trey, if, if anything you'd like to add? Uh, the reason I joined uh, for a challenge at the time, you know, I considered myself to be a, a quote unquote self-proclaimed data scientist, right? I, I didn't necessarily need the industry to, to give me the title um, and, and was proven wrong. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of things that, TDI teaches you um, that will not only refine your skills, but will, you know, empower you to, to take on larger tasks with different set of tools, um, which is what they definitely equipped me with. And I feel a lot more comfortable in a variety of situations prior um, to, to being um, admitted to TDI. And then also for the community, I have a ton of friends now um, that I can talk to, right, that are also from the program who are data scientists or data engineers. Um, and whenever I run into a problem, we can joke about all the mini projects. <laughs> That's glad to hear. I mean, we're glad that we're still able to have that community even in an online environment with our students being able to, to network and get to know each other. But that's definitely one of the major takeaways we hear from students in our program is just having that extra support, not only to navigate the curriculum and content and get you that skill set, but just having that sort of like gold star on your resume, like this is a certified person that has completed this. So I'm glad to hear that, you know, you guys got that most out of that program and it really helped you with landing your, your next job. So any favorite parts of participating in the program? I think the project and down, hands down. That's for me at least what was meaningful. And I think the lessons learned from there um, have served me well. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I mean, while everything was wonderful, I think 
I think the mini projects truly, they make you realize what it takes to be a data scientist, right? Because I mean, it, you, you can see a problem and like fit a model to it all you want, you know, like, like really basic, but, but like th those mini projects really nail it. Like, like it, it's, uh, you know, like I could apply it to things I've done at my job, you know, like, like stuff like that. The mini projects are hands down the, the best portion of the, the training. Uh, I truly enjoyed the lectures. Um, it allowed individuals to, to sort of speak their mind. Um, it was just a, a, a space of sort of just like pre-thought and collaboration, brainstorming, and that would sort of prepare you for those mini projects. If not to figure out how you can apply that to whatever it is that you're working on. Um, I, I think all of those are obviously um, great. Uh, I guess I'll add something different just for the sake of, you know, maybe in case it doesn't come up, um, but one of the, I think, important things that I got out of the um, program was honestly at the beginning, which was like having um, like a professional resume writing service, look at your resume and, you know, basically help you cater your, your data science resume to a particular job that you might be interested in. And so like um, they kind of strengthen your resume and cover letter to, you know, hit the you know, bullet points of what is um, required for that job position and, you know, give it to you in a format, um, you know, that you can then use. Um, and, you know, the um, resume builder app or, or site through TDI allows you to basically um, publish it in a nice uh, format that I think is also um, designed to make it through a lot of screening services for data science like stuff. So that help with um, putting together a professional um, uh, resume, I think was super helpful for me. There is a method to our, our resume madness here, how we have you all set up. So we you hit it right on the head. We want to make sure that as you're going through and, and navigating the hiring process, that it gets put right at the top because you're meeting all of those requirements that employers are looking for. So we've talked about favorite parts. Let's talk about parts that were most challenging in the program. Well, I think for me, the coding challenges because I didn't know any Python. You know, I, I did all the, uh, um, I can't remember what you call them, the, the examination questions to get into the program in Mathematica because that's what everyone in my subfield of physics uses. And I'm grateful that everyone gave me a chance, you know, because I'm, the face, maybe it didn't look like I was the strongest candidate for data science, but I had, you know, confidence in myself and in my ability to solve problems. And I'm glad that that was something that, you know, kind of shined through in the end. And I was given the opportunity to participate because I think it was a good fit in the end. And I saw a little question pop up about, you know, how much is not much programming experience? And the answer is like, I had a lot of programming experience in other languages. Okay, but the lingua franca is Python. And so if you don't know Python, learn it. And there's lots of online resources, including the TDI's 12-step program, or uh, I can't remember what you call it, Sarah, you'll have to remind me. Uh, yeah, you're right, it's 12-day program. 12-day program, mm -hmm. yeah, 12 steps sounds too much like a recovery <laughs> program. Yeah. Um, it yeah, is I mean... 12 steps, right? It's just that <laughs> you don't call it. Uh, but we'll we'll stick with day for now. Yeah, I think that's better. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll echo Rob once again. Uh, the the coding challenges at the beginning of each day were, were definitely challenging, like the most challenging for me. And and I'll say, even knowing Python going in, it was still challenging. Um, I, I still think recursion specifically to this day, it still blows my mind, even though I understand it uh, for the most part, mostly. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the mini projects, while challenging, you have more time, you have more opportunity to ask questions and collaborate with people if needed like oh you did it that way i did it this way you know but with the coding challenge it's just this quick 30 minute like something you might see in an interview and that was yeah definitely challenging at times uh i want to say uh the sql mini project for me um because i i thought i was a, a master of sql and uh i was proven wrong once again right um i think i think uh, tdi does a good job of humbling you <laughs> um, uh, but other than that, uh, I would say that the capstone would be my follow-up um, because you actually have to produce a data product, which a lot of people might not be used to in the traditional sense, right, of uh, I think Robert and Adam uh, pointed out earlier, which is just fitting a model to anything. You just take some data and you fit a model and that's it. Um, but now you actually have to produce something that somebody could potentially use. Um, so just put you in the put you in the seat of a actual stakeholder, right? Yeah, and I'll, I'll just quickly echo Trey regarding the um, uh, Capstone project. I mean, I, I agree. I think actually the hardest thing for me was all of the um, hacker run challenges because like it's just a different sort of mindset like to have to figure out like some skills you just have to memorize and some things you just have to like be able to recognize what type of like coding challenge or skill they're actually testing for and then have to figure out how to do it. Um, but what I found the what I found challenging about the Capstone project is it was really sort of my first experience of like conceptualizing an end-to-end -end data science project. Like what is the problem statement? Like why why should anyone be interested in the problem that you're trying to solve? Um, how to find the data that you want in order to answer the question that you're actually trying to ask. Right. Then then doing all of the obvious like data exploration, you know, building a model, testing different models, whatever. And then like Trey said, like, OK, so what now you have a model like what is the like how how is anyone going to use it? Like unless they know Python, like, you know, it's it's useless. So like putting it together in a web app or some other sort of produced production um, service that, you know, any any stakeholder that, you know, knows how to use the Internet could could use and get something meaningful out of it. Um, and then, you know, being able to, uh, you know, sort of finally, um, present that project, you know, in a way that captures the interests of, you know, anyone to show that there is a, there's a need for this product that you're serving, you know, um, and, um, being able to sell that story, which I think is helpful for, you know, particularly in the interview process, when you're trying to, you know, talk about a project you're working on, you want to be able to convince them, like, this is a worthy project, I know how to do one from start to finish, and I can pre create a finished product that can be used by an end user. Well, thank you all for sharing. I want to pivot a little bit. I know we talked a bit about resume services and hiring, but if you could elaborate a bit more about your experience with the job placement resources, things that you took advantage of, or support that you utilize in the program. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember what it stands for, but I believe that the acronym was the CRM. Uh, the, the CRM was very useful. I mean, it, it, 
it, it's essentially just a, a database of the partners who are active or not active. You could filter by certain things. So, so whether it's, you know, location or, or you know, uh, when they're hiring or if they're hiring, you could filter and just get down to like a very specific subset of the, the partners um, that you may be interested in and applying to. And I mean, I thought the really cool part was they can look for you as well. Like, like I said earlier, I mean, I mean, I had two companies reach out to me, which, which, I mean, you know, in a job hunt, like I said, that, that never happens really. <laughs> um, and I, I thought that was the coolest part. Yeah. The, the CRM definitely uh, was super helpful. Yeah. That's how I got my job. It was not one of the interviews I requested. It was an interview that happened because somebody requested me. And so I think that's a very unique thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I use the I, CRM I say as that, well. I'm oh, sorry, I just, let me, final sentence is just that it was also very easy to get interviews by reaching out. So I think I always had at least a bit of interest. Sometimes it was kind of a very vague posting and it was some startup that didn't really have funds secure to hire me, but they just kind of wanted to see like what was out there. But, you know, the, there was like a lot of um, back and forth, I would say. Yeah, um, I, I use this CRM a lot as well. Um, I I don't I don't can't recall if I received any interest directly from uh, companies or if all of my interviews were um, initiated by me. But um, I also I think I, the job that I ultimately was placed for I got via um, one of the Slack opportunities. So so um, that you know. Uh, TDI posts job opportunities on the Slack channel almost daily, if not every few days. Um, and I think that was one of the opportunities that um, I found as well. So uh, some, I, mean, I think eventually they end up in the CRM at some point, but like sometimes um, you can get something, a Slack opportunity that hasn't made it to the CRM quite yet. Um, and so that's, that's how I found mine. I, would, I just want to agree with everyone. Uh, I would definitely say, Focusing on that job profile uh, that you have in the CRM, it, uh, that would be a great idea. That's what I took advantage of. And that's how I was able to, to land my position right now. Um, somebody reached out to me. I had several companies reach out to me. Um, and that allowed me to be able to differentiate myself, right? And, and sort of prove my worth, um, which you don't typically get when you're applying on LinkedIn. That's exciting to hear. Um, we see that that's a pretty common thing in our cohorts too. With um, in our first week of our cohort, we introduce our hiring partners to all of our new students. It puts your information out there, your profile, so they can see this exciting cohort that we have, and that's how they really get to know you and start reaching out to schedule interviews. So I'm I'm glad to hear that for so many in this group that that's one of the ways that you're able to find your um, hiring partner placement. So. Is there anything that you do in your current job that you learned or helped to help you develop at TDI? Can I just add one thing to the last thread? Yeah, of course. So I, I just wanted to say that it's sometimes very tricky when you try to apply outside of a program like TDI because the requirements on paper for the job can sound rather scary. And a lot of the times I found with TDI, you know, the posting would be there. And I would say, oh gosh, you know, I don't, don't think I'm qualified for this job. But still, the person on the other end would hear me out. And I, I always felt like I got a fair hearing and I, you know, didn't end up with any of those jobs. So maybe it was like a solid requirement, but I didn't feel like I was excluded right away. Like I felt like I had a chance. And I just wanted to, to mention that because it can be scary sometimes looking at these 
you know, lists of you should have seven years of this and five years of this. And a lot of that is just kind of made up arbitrarily. It's not really the case that there's someone sitting in a room thinking, oh, I can't work with you if you don't have seven years of analysis or, or whatever you know, kind of thing they want. Just wanted to. to throw yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that. I think that that's going to be a lot of people's experiences when they're looking at job postings, and yeah. it can definitely be an, an overwhelming process. So we've got an excellent team of PRMs. I know you all had a chance to work with them to really help you navigate the job postings, especially if they're within our network. So they can look at them and tell you, you know, you're a great fit, or this is what they're really looking for to help you prepare for your upcoming interviews too. So just going back to um, anything that you learned at TDI or developed at TDI that you use in your current job today. Uh, the biggest one for me is SQL. Um, I, I mean, I, I think, I, I don't know what uh, Robert, Adam, and Trey use, but I mean, at my job, there's, there's large data sets, right? I mean, we, we deal with calls for like AT&T and stuff. So, you know, millions of data points a day with, with hundreds of columns, you know, uh, SQL is basically 70% of my job right now, <laughs> honestly. Um, I, I mean, I, that might not be the case everywhere, but, but for me specifically, SQL was, was huge. Uh, I, I use it every day and I thank TDI for it every day. A little silent. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> do, do you have a, a, a two cents, Robert, about what flavor of SQL is uh, most robust and best oh, to, to use? I mean, I, I don't want to... I don't want to give anybody any sort of like proclivities or anything. I mean, I, I just... We, we all, right, use, all right, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. put you on the spot. No problem. <laughs> uh, I would say uh, Flask. Uh, leveraging Flask and understanding version control through Git. Well, for me, the core Python programming skills is the obvious one for me because I didn't have that coming in. Yeah, I, I use a little bit of everything. I mean, uh, SQL, of course, Python and, and Jupyter Notebooks and data, data viz stuff. So a lot of the data viz um, training we've done. Um, yeah. I've also heard from other students who will, you know, export their mini project work from Jupyter Hub, and if they have a difficult, you know, challenge at work, they'll go through the steps of the projects to really help them <laughs> reinforce that that skill that they learned in the program. Um, so I definitely think, you know, just going back, if you for those resources, they can definitely help you later on in the in your career as well. For so, sure, I definitely um, I downloaded the the entire, you know repo from uh, Jupyter Hub, and I refer to it, I mean, at least monthly. Um, yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah, certainly then, super helpful stuff. So looking back, do you have any advice that you would have told yourself before going through the program? Take, take the 12 day boot camp a lot more serious. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny because you all had a little yes. trouble before you started answering. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to see like how best to phrase this, but it's not really a 12-day program. It's more like a 30-day program. If you, at least if you're like me, like if, if you didn't know any Python, then it's a 30-day program. And I didn't spend 30 days on it. So I had a lot of catching up to do. Um, if you do know Python, then maybe it really is. I mean, maybe one of you can speak to that. Uh, I, I mean, I will say, yeah, definitely focus on that 12-day program, uh, even with Python experience and, and plenty, of, plenty of coding experience. I mean, it's still, 
it helped a lot. And, and the only other advice I would give is uh, if you do join, start the mini projects earlier than you would think. Um, <laughs> that I mean, while there's, the, you know, at any point you can ask questions, you know, and talk with an instructor, which is helpful. Sometimes you just need to sink that time into it. I mean, there were a couple where, and it was mostly mistakes on my part, you know, misusing something or not understanding a small concept, you know, but if you have to, you know, take a day to look at it and then take another day to look at it. If you start on Saturday when it's due Sunday, you can't do that really. <laughs> um, definitely start earlier than you think you should on those each week. But they were at least humane with the deadlines, which I think was appreciated. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and then last question here before we open it up to the, the floor with questions. What do you think is the most important thing that TDI graduates walk away with? A job. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> uh, a job is a big one, but uh, if I could speak to my engineering background for just a second, uh, when whenever I was in some of my sophomore engineering classes, one professor constantly said uh, something about engineering instinct. Right? Any anybody can be taught to use an equation. Anybody can be taught to put numbers into Excel. But if the number comes out negative and it should be positive, if you don't have engineering instinct, you're not going to catch it. And I, I think Data Incubator does that perfectly for data science. Uh, being able to look at a data set and, and just be able to see trends in it, knowing how to find trends in it if you can't physically see them, uh, seeing changes in your data over time and stuff like that. Like, like just being able to look at data and say, I think I know how to handle this data set. Like that's, that's invaluable to me. And I would just say value in the market. Um, you know, I've had several companies attempt to poach me from my current positions, right? Just because of now that I have this credential to go on and then they go and review it and there's some sort of inherent value that comes along with that. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, this has happened to me too multiple times. I wouldn't describe it as poaching so much as like, you know, testing the waters so like how, how are you liking this position that you're in are you interested in exploring other options you know like going in that direction very obviously i'm like yeah. and i love my job so i just ignore it and i tell my boss that he should try to poach the people from that company you know well, i'm glad to hear you're happy at your job all right, so at this point, I'm going to open the floor to questions. We have quite a few questions in the Q&A already, but if you haven't put a question in there and you'd like to have it answered by the analyst, please do so now. So our first question, which I think we touched on a little bit earlier, but if we can reiterate, why should you attend TDI rather than learning by yourself? So well, it's just nice to have some structure, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I sort of touched on that, I think, in one of my earlier answers. But for me, at least, um, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, it is entirely possible to find all the information that you could learn about data science online somewhere, you know, for free, probably. Um, you know, the, the, the one the few things that I will say is one, you know, it is possible to get into TDI for free if you get in as a as a fellow. Um, but even if you have to do the paid option, like having a catered um, you know, curriculum that is guaranteed to be like the foundational knowledge you need in most of what you might be doing in data science is was a huge benefit for me. It helped me sort of focus like what I needed to work on. Um, it forced you to put a project together that is the main thing that anyone really cares about when they ask about an interview, like other than like your resume, like if you don't have a project that they can see end to end that you've done something like it's almost impossible to like convince them that you know what you're doing. Um, 
and uh, you know resume help so that you know your resume gets filtered you know pa passes through the um the resume filters uh at you know and having someone that is experienced in writing you know quality resumes you know really focus your resume and make it as strong as possible uh, and then finally the uh connection the relationship between TDI and their hiring partners so that basically gets you a foot in the door at any place, any one of their partners that you're interested in applying to. Uh, like I said, you know, I tried to do this on my own. Um, maybe I got a, a first round interview at 5% of the places that I applied to. And with TDI, I think 90% of the ones that I applied to, I at least got a first round interview. And then for all of our panelists, we have another question here. What sort of traditional software development backgrounds did you all have before joining the program? For example, what's your strongest programming language and experience depth coming into the program? Uh, I was probably a little on the, the higher side, I'd guess. I'd, I had been using MATLAB for eight years before before joining the the program uh matlab is in a terrible language uh i had but then i'd been using python for probably three-ish years beforehand uh it was still extremely valuable honestly i i don't think there's such a thing as too much practicing when it comes to, to things like python i mean especially when, when you have all of these libraries that you've potentially never used before, right? I mean, it's not necessarily a new programming language, but it's it's completely foreign whenever you open up like a, a machine learning program as opposed to, you know, just normal pandas or something like that, you know? Um, yeah, so I, I had a lot of experience going in and, and it was still amazing. <laughs> so this question is actually going to be for Trey. Can you tell us about your experience in the part-time program? I would say it was it was a perfect balance for what I had going on. Um, so I was working full time as a data analyst, and so it allowed me to work, you know, my full time job, and then come home and and sort of study and and then refine my skill set uh, to apply for that that next level. Um, so I, I found it to be, you know, worthwhile. I would just say, you know, you're gonna have some longer nights. Um, you, you know, you just might have to be used to that or be willing to sacrifice a little bit of that fun time um, that you or free time that you have currently um, to be dedicated to the to the fellowship. But other than that, if you're willing to make that sacrifice, I think it's it's very worth it. I'm glad to hear. And we hear that from a lot of our students in the part-time program. They're choosing that because of the flexibility to be able to, you know, if you're working full-time and you are not ready to commit to leaving your current role and want to continue your education, part-time is a great option for other students who are wanting to get through the program a little bit quicker and go on to their next role, then full-time is definitely a great option if you can balance the workload. So another question for all of our panelists, did you experience imposter syndrome when starting your first position outside of TDI? And then what do you do in your position now that you feel TDI prepared you for? I want to say yes. I, even before I left uh, TDI, um, I was experiencing um, imposter syndrome. I would say now that I'm in my role and and so, some of the work that I'm doing, I'm, I'm not even phased by it. Um, you know, the level in terms of how complex I would make things out to be, um, sort of like Occam's razor, I just keep everything simple. And that's what TDI sort of has 
provided me in terms of the mindset um, and how you approach certain things is just keep it simple. Don't try to overthink or complicate, uh, you know, a really easy question when, you know, it, it really just takes a simple approach. Um, but yeah, that that's my take. Yeah, I definitely had that because I expected them to really like want me to know Python from front to back on my first day, but it wasn't like that at all. They were very, very accommodating. And, you know, because it's, it's, it's a significant step for the company too to hire you. So like they're going to put you somewhere where they can use your skills. And if you don't have every single skill on day one, I feel like that's actually not a big deal at a lot of smaller companies. Now, if you're going to try to get a job at Google, then you should probably know everything in the job description backwards and forwards. That is hard. I mean, I know a lot of people who work there, and I assume it's the same at all of the, uh, um, I don't know what they call it nowadays. I was going to say Fang, but it's not really Fang anymore, is it? It's like... Uh, is it Mang now that it's meta? No, it's like <laughs> man. It's terrible, right? Because it's not Google. It's Alphabet. Right. so man great all right yeah so that, that's my take i definitely had imposter syndrome but i got over it and no one cared in the end they were just happy to uh, use the skills that i did have and let me learn the rest uh yeah i mean just to to once again mirror everyone i mean i the, the short answer is yes the long answer is hell yes i guess i <laughs> um <laughs> I, I, but the, the, at least the company I work for, I mean, there was a, a three week long training period where, where regardless of the fact that I was, I was a, a data scientist and I was trained through TDI, you know, that there are very specific things that you do at your job or, you know, depending, I mean, if, if you're in a smaller company, maybe it's not quite defined yet, but at least for mine, you know, I had a specific role that I was meant to fill and I was trained for three weeks to do that job. And I still felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, it wasn't until... I don't know, six months in when we when we had our H2 reviews, uh, when my manager was like, yeah, you're doing fantastic. Honestly, I I breathe a sigh of relief every time you're like, yeah, I'll do that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it fully prepared me even if I, you know, didn't think I was that good. <laughs> I'll just jump in and say, um, I still have imposter syndrome. I mean, like it's, you know, um, but part of what uh, I think you know, TDI was able to do for me is manage it, you know, like, I, I know that there are things that I don't know, like, I mean, uh, it's an it's an eight week course, or if it's a part time, it's still probably the same content, it's just over a longer period of time. But like, it's only really a foundational level, like material, you get a little bit of a lot of different things, and it doesn't touch on everything. And so you're always going to get into a situation or you can always potentially get into a situation where you're like, I actually don't know how to do, um, you know, use this model or I, I, you know, whatever, there's always something but like, I have the tools to figure out how to do it, you know, and, mm -hmm. I, and I'm confident that like, even if I don't know how to do something now, like, you know, you give me a couple of weeks and some learning materials and some time to figure it out, like, I can figure it out. That's one of the things we found when we've actually did a, a webinar with ODSC talking about imposter syndrome is that it's a cycle. It's something that's going to affect you at various stages of your career. And it's actually very common. So it will happen to you know most of us, even I experience it from time to time, but there are tools and things to help you prepare. I think definitely going through the program and having that foundational knowledge and feeling confident in your ability does help. 
but it will come up from time to time that there are some tips that we can share with you to help you overcome that and prepare for it in the future as well. So I saw another question here that I thought was interesting. Let me just, not that I don't think all questions are interesting, but one that is towards the bottom. I wanna make sure that we get to it before we end our session today. So for all of our panelists, after finishing the program, how long did it take you to get a job offer? I think I was employed before I left TDI. Um, so I received my offer in February. We concluded in March. Uh, yeah, was I, March. yeah, I think we finished our cohort in March, right? Yeah. And yes. I got my job offer in April. Yeah, I, so, I got my sure, job yeah. offered towards the end. I started April 5th. So I'm actually very recently celebrating a year. <laughs> yes, and I, I started in like really May, May 3rd, I think. It was. So, yeah, performance review. My boss told me it's coming. No, we'll see. And then another question here for our panelists. So to what extent do you feel your domain expertise in your previous fields came into play after the program and in your current role? Well, I think it was very important. I I think that, you know, for a lot of things, uh, and this, I think someone already touched on a little bit, uh, maybe it was Trey, that sometimes in research, people tend to overcomplicate things unnecessarily. And so I think just to have a steady hand and to kind of not jump the gun and start writing the program prematurely, but to really think through the thing to the end and make sure that you understand the, you know, morally speaking, I don't know, correct is the right word, but the the, the phrase that stuck with me um, from one of my physics professors many years ago when I was in grad school is my job is to make you right thinking. And I'm going to tentatively say that right thinking means thinking like me. And so he was kind of an egomaniac, but the, the message is that, you know, if you have, enough people who are good at research telling you how to do research for long enough, that's gonna rub off on you. And I think that's really what I brought to the table with um, you know, being uh, someone who had a background in research, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't speak much to, to engineering specifically giving me a leg up in TDI because I mean, designing a bridge doesn't necessarily help you be good at coding or anything like that. But, uh, but, but the PhD side of things, just, just learning research methods. And then for me specifically, I did do some computational stuff. So, so that, that helped out a lot. And I was able to bring that to TDI and I, I still bring some of it to my job. Uh, I, I did a lot of optimization in my PhD and I, I still do a lot of optimization to this day, um, defining some target metrics, you know, based on, data, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get into my job specifically unless anybody has a question, but uh, I, I do still use some of that day to day. Yeah. And then can you talk about your experiences participating in the program online? And if you could do it again, would you participate in person? Nope. I have no. a family, so that's not possible. <laughs> yeah, I would say online. Um, it's just for the flexibility because I had to go into the office at work. It would have been such a hassle to, to sort of but let me not say that, <laughs> but yeah, for me, remote. Uh, I, I mean, I would say that uh, I did enjoy online a lot, that the flexibility is wonderful, that, that you know, in between lecture and, and 
I honestly forget what's directly after lecture, uh, maybe like office hours and stuff. But the fact that I could go lay down on my bed for 15 minutes, you know, was was kind of wonderful at times. But uh, honestly, I mean, I, I do miss like a classroom setting from time to time. I do like physically interacting with people. So, I mean, I think if I had to do it again, I wouldn't mind trying in person, provided there wasn't a pandemic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I enjoyed online. I think either would be great. <laughs> I, I did a Robert Zoo. Yeah, I, I, did, I did it online. It was fine. Um, I would, if I were to do it again, I would consider doing it in person. That's one of the, the great things that we try to take our, our on-ground program and really translate it well online to make sure that you have that community of learners that you're able to pull from and network with. And I think some of the things we've changed I think even since uh, our two Roberts and Adam were in the program is just giving you more opportunities to socialize, study group sessions with the entire cohort where you can network and work closely together. But we also do have options for our students if they'd like to participate in person. We recently had our first in-person cohort in Berkeley. And it was a great experience for our students. So if you're interested in one or the other, just send us an email. We can talk to you about our options of online or in-person as well. How many locations do you have nowadays for in-person? Just, yeah. just Berkeley for now. Um, in so, but we are hoping you know in the future to open up more options. But for now, our plan is just with uh, in California. Gotcha. Cool. And then I think we've answered this all, but someone wants to know if you all work remote currently. No. Uh, I, I do with no current plans to go into the office as of right now. Yeah, I have to relocate. In about four months. So for me, it's a mixed bag. I mean, I, it's not fully remote, but I can be remote four days a week. There's only a small amount of work that has to be physically like in the building and everything else. It's mm -hmm. yeah, fine for me to be working on my company issue laptop. So it's it's a small amount of work. And you know, for where I'm sitting, it's it's not a bad deal because I do enjoy actually seeing my coworkers in real life and having lunch with them. I mean, I think that's nice. And I know that I was missing that through you know, the years of the pandemic. So, you know, maybe I'll get sick of them at some point and wish I could be fully remote, but for the time being, at least I'm enjoying it. And it's the right balance for me because like I said, I have a family and it's, it's great to have the flexibility to help my wife with whatever it is that needs to be done. Or, you know, even if I just need to, like Robert said, you know, during the, the program if I need to go lie down for 15 minutes and collect my thoughts and come back with the, the solution to the problem that I'm having you know it's, it's just a very nice uh, work-life balance for me right now but I'm not even sure that I would necessarily want it to be fully remote because I, I do like having the possibility to have you know the, the sort of um, blackboard discussion type chats that I had back when I was in uh, theoretical physics and so that that's something which it is very nice for me personally uh, to, to have that kind of human interaction occasionally, but to be kind of remote for the rest of the week. And for me, it's a great balance. And because we are coming up on the end of our time today, any last minute advice for our incoming cohort? Uh, I mean, biggest thing I'd say is don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, I mean, the instructors are there to help you. Uh, I mean, that's just general life advice, honestly. Just 
ask questions. E- even if it's the you think it's the stupidest possible question, somebody will answer it. <laughs> um, I still do, and it, it helps a lot, honestly. And to kind of piggyback off of Rob, I would say, you know, somebody in the program is probably struggling on the same exact thing that you're struggling with. Um, so, yeah, definitely make sure to ask questions. And believe in yourself, right? You made it into the program. So feel like that 2% that made it in. And just one final thing um, regarding the clearance. If anyone does want to consider DCI solutions, I encourage you to contact the uh, whoever it is who's in charge now, probably Dr. Jonathan Mullen uh, with recruiting as early as possible. And there may be the chance to start thinking about doing the paperwork for the clearance sooner rather than later. So, you know, I just don't want people to feel like it's a closed door. You don't have to have the clearance already. I, I did not, and I still actually, uh, I've been cleared, but I don't have all the like IDs and, and bells and whistles. So just to, to throw that out there, that it's not a closed door, you know, for people who um, are qualified to be cleared. Uh, and then I'll just say a piece of practical advice. Like if you know that you are looking to apply, like for sure, um, you can't, you literally can't spend enough time, um, or you can't spend too much time planning your capstone project. Um, there's always something to do and it often becomes a challenge practically to juggle, um, doing your capstone project while you're also responsible for doing the mini projects. So, uh, and you know, for the technical challenge, like once you start it, you have 72 hours to submit it. And the biggest part is, you know, doing some legwork on your uh, capstone project to show that there is something to your project. Um, So I I think I spent like two or three weeks off and on just thinking about it, trying to find the right question, trying to find the right data set uh, before I even started the, um, the technical challenge in order to make sure that I had the time to put in the work. Um, And uh, I, you know, a lot of people struggled uh, in our cohort, I think, to juggle both doing the, uh, like if you had to restart your capstone project in the, um, in the fellowship, it's, it is a challenge. Well, I want to thank all of our panelists for joining us today. We'd love to see our alumni come back to these events and just share some of their insights for our incoming students. And thank you so much for your time today. I know it was helpful for our students to get some answers from you and just really help them prepare before the program starts. I just want to throw out one last reminder here. The regular admissions application for our summer cohort actually closes this Friday. So if you're waiting on this session to get some more information, haven't submitted your application yet, please make sure you do so by that deadline. And then the regular admissions challenge will close on that Monday. So that challenge, Adam was talking about those 72 hours we have over the weekend to work on it. And then our full-time cohort will start June 27th and it goes through August 19th. And then part-time cohort also June 27th through November 11th. So I believe we put a link in the chat to submit your application. But if you have any questions after this session, if you want to talk to an enrollment counselor, please email us admissions at the datingcubator.com. We are happy to set up a call for you as well. And then again, this session has been recorded, takes a couple days to process. So all of the registered attendees will get a copy of this recording as well. But again, thank you everyone for attending. Thank you to our panelists and I hope everyone has a great rest of your day.